On today's episode, I have Coach Brown, who was one of my former strength and conditioning coaches at Eastern, Eastern Illinois University. So she is, if not the most passionate coach I know that brings energy to the weight room every single day uh, when, I was, when I was there as an athlete and she was my coach, and I'm sure that has not changed. So what we kind of talked about today is we focused on motivation and leadership as these are two qualities I think that she has does very well. And this is a really great episode, whether you are a coach of any sort or if you are an athlete trying to be a leader within your team, whether you're a captain or just trying to step up and be a leader, I think this has great benefits uh, for both of those. So the things we talked about are we talked about kind of finding your, her passion and how she brings it every single day, how she's able to, even on her bad days, bring that same level of energy. We talked about just the different uh, leadership characteristics. We talked about going into a new environment, whether if it's a new team, uh, if you're a transfer or transfer or you're going up to a new team um, with a coaching aspect, any anything like that, and how you kind of gain respect of the team and how you kind of become a leader. And then we also talked about kind of the differences on if there is any or what her opinion was on the differences of males versus females in kind of creating a culture and that there are, I mean, Every, every team is obviously going to be different and every um, group's going to be different, but just her experiences on the differences between males and female teams or just different sports um, and how you motivate different sports. And again, it's just a really great episode, I think, that covers an array of topics on that leadership and motivation, which is another really important aspect of everything, not just always the exercise physiology and the uh, sports medicine, but having some sort of communication um, an aspect to it as well. So thanks for being on Coach Brown, and here's our episode. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date, evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, coaches, parents of athletes, or any active person looking to improve their fitness or athletic ability. So please, have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm Patrick Wood, your host, and today I have on Coach Brown, one of my former strength and conditioning coaches at EIU. Uh, I thought one of her biggest strengths was just motivation and learning how, or just uh, being able to kind of take control of a room um, and shed motivation and always bring great energy each day. So we're going to kind of focus in on those topics a little bit today. Um, but first off, uh, if you just want to want to tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of uh, how you got into strength and conditioning, um, education-wise, and maybe a slight uh, career path. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I, I just I'm so appreciative and and so proud of uh, what you guys are doing here. Um, so essentially, I, I had a whole military career before I got into strength and conditioning, and and that's definitely what uh, set it off for me. Um, it was probably uh, my second year in in the army, and I was uh, in Iraq and just looking for ways to kind of uh, keep sane. And uh, one of the main ways we went about that, you know, was, you know, you lift, you work out. And, you know, I'd always considered myself, you know, an athlete prior to that, but um, I hadn't really had any introductions to things like powerlifting and, and barbell training. It was always some form of army stuff. So push-up, sit-ups, you know, run type thing. And um actually uh, ran into a, a colleague and, and he was just like, hey, you know, I'd love to train you. I was like, all right, man, you know, 
I'm an open book. I've got nothing but time. Let's let's do this. And so uh, his name was Dwayne Clifford. He's actually a sergeant major now, um, still in the the Kansas uh, National Guard. And and he basically, you know, trained me for free, and it was awesome. And uh, at the end of it, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in the army or not. Wasn't sure um, really what I was gonna do, you know, after all these deployments. And he was like, you know what, you need to you need to go be serious and go to school. And honestly, like, I didn't take myself as, as the academic type or the intellectual type. I was just like, ah, you know, let's just let's just train and do all the grunt work. And he's like, I'm telling you, you need to do this. So I kind of let it linger for a while. And, and a couple of years down the road and another deployment after that, you know, I decided to get out of the Army. Um, and I had a very difficult time transitioning um, from being a soldier to being a civilian. And I did not forecast that, you know, I you know, the army mentality is like, I'm bulletproof. And so it kind of snuck up on me. And one of the ways that I coped with that, um, was through powerlifting. That was, you know, something that was constant for me. And as I started generating that passion and getting stronger and, and kind of attracting a crowd a little bit, um, had people coming up to me asking if I trained them, you know, sure. Cool. You know, I was, I was a sergeant in the army. It didn't think of it as anything different. Um, and then that voice of Dwayne telling me, hey, it's time to get serious, that kind of snapped back on. And so that's when I um, took advantage of, of uh, the benefits that the Army had, kind of the educational benefits that the mm-hmm. Army had offered me. And um, I went to uh, Springfield College in Springfield, Massachusetts, which, you know, without the help of, of the government, I wouldn't have been able to afford an education like that. Um, so I, I got my undergrad in applied exercise science. And that was really the tipping off point in terms of understanding the difference between sitting in a classroom and uh, running a room and understanding things as you get under the bar. Those are mm-hmm. two fundamentally different things. Um, so in Springfield College, they termed the uh, degree program as applied exercise science, not just your typical physiology or exercise science. They truly mean what they say when they say applied. So kind of burrowed into the... Um, the academic progress plan are these required internships. And so, you know, if you know anything about the Northeast, it's a very concentrated area of colleges. So I had, you know, my pick of the litter to be able to, as much time as I was willing to put in with internships, I would be able to do that. And so I I interned um, at Springfield College. I interned at College of the Holy Cross um, with Jeff Jeff Oliver. Um, I interned in Providence, Rhode Island, where my family's from, where I grew up at Brown University with uh, Brandon O'Neill. And I I had a great uh, structured uh, experience there. Um, And it, it really awoke that passion that I had because there was a lot of passion I had in my back pocket from being a soldier. Um, and being a leader, but I didn't know where to put it. And when I got to Springfield College, it gave me a place to say, let's meld those two things together and let that be your strength. Um, I graduated from Springfield College in 2014. Um, and then I knew, you know, just the nature of, of working as a collegiate strength and conditioning coach, you know, baseline requirement is a master's degree. So while I wasn't thrilled to to go and take on more education at my age I knew it was needed and so I was ready to do it um I had great mentors in my corner that um assisted me to get into Eastern Illinois University and so I started as you know Patrick and Grace um I started um 2014 and I worked at EIU under uh coach Joe Niehaus uh for two years and that was you know if I if I look at what was most pivotal in my career it was those two years because 
Um, I wasn't folding towels. I wasn't standing in a corner. I wasn't watching. I was doing, 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 doing. And whatever I could do with responsibility um, and with respect to our student athletes, you know, Coach Niehaus was willing to let me do. So I had five teams of my own, and then I assisted with football and anyone else that would just let me coach them. Um, and then, of course, taking on a full master's degree um, in sport administration and sports psychology. Um, I graduated from there in 2016. Uh, went to go get a big girl job, and it was not as easy as I thought it would be. You know, I had great contacts, I had great networks, but it was uh, a tough climb to the top. And so after about two or three months of just job searching and, you know, figuring out what my next step was, um, Coach uh, Lee Scott at Texas A&M, uh, Corpus Christi, he gave me a shot. And so I got hired on there uh, August of 2016. I spent uh, three years there, uh, just recently left uh, Texas A&M. And uh, in between trying to figure out what my next step was, I did a couple private gigs, things like that. So coached um, some younger kids, you know, anyone from ages six to, you know, my oldest client was 55. Um, I got a lot of exposure there that I needed to get to take my next step. I um, was fortunate enough uh, from there to get an interview and, and consideration um, with uh, KBR contractors to work for the Marine Corps. And so that's where I currently am right now. I train uh, Special Operating Forces Marine Corps um, as a human uh, performance coach. Nice. <laughs> good good summary there of everything you think so i thought i was uh drifting off there you know I, you know i like to talk <laughs> <laughs> perfect for podcasts so, um i think if we can kind of highlight on the one thing is just so i think like i said one of the biggest things is just passion and bringing that every single day um and everyone's gonna have those dragging days where you know they're they're down a little bit or they're something's off but you're still you are always still consistently able to just bring that energy so mm-hmm. what was other than just having a great passion for strength and conditioning, what are some tactics you use or just how do you do that every day? Other than, or yeah. actually, other than also, other than taking about five Red Bulls or and, oh, Monsters <laughs> is your thing, right? Monsters indeed for my business out there. Um, mm. Fun story is I actually have not had one Monster um, for the last year, which has been probably one wow. of the hardest things I've done ever. You switched to um, Rockstars or... Uh, I know. <laughs> Just coffee for me now. When you get old, nice. you can't afford to smash monsters like I used to. Um, True. You know, it's 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 always interesting to um, take the perspective that your athletes have, and you don't always get the chance to um, get to hear how they see it. You know, you just you know, I've got my lens, and you've got your lens, and we try to meet in the middle. And um, we don't always get to have that testimony we share together about how you perceived me and how I perceived you. And so there were a lot of days where I just didn't have it for y'all. I mean, I was attempting to bring some juice, attempting to program, attempting to keep up my studies, attempting to write a thesis, um, attempting to still be a person outside of all this, like a lot of balls in the air. And a lot of times, you know, what I would take home with me is, I didn't have enough energy. I'd be real hard on myself. I'd say, you know, it wasn't enough. They deserve more. I wanted, I wanted EIU swimming to have just as much intensity from me as I gave to football or men's basketball or whoever. If I'm on the floor, I want you to have the best of me. And that was something that um, 
I struggled with. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, your perception was, oh man, she was always on. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I, I think that's really cool for, for me on my end to hear that. Um, so my years in EIU, my answer would be as many monsters as I could humanly consume, you know, or, uh, and I'm not saying that's the right answer. That was just, uh, as a young coach, that was, that was what I did. Um, one of the other tactics I've kind of, I kind of had with me there was really the mentality I had as I led soldiers, um, that mindset that was in me that, you know, they're willing to do a, B, and C for me, I better be willing to do A, B, and C for them and match their intensity. And so really what that comes up to is how do you define your why? Like, what is your why? And if your why is um, how much I, attention I can get as a coach, that's the wrong answer. And it's it's going to burn out quickly. And so I just, I just felt like you guys were counting on me. Um, and I didn't want to let y'all down. And that definitely assisted me. As I moved down the road and matured in my career as, as, a, as a coach and just as a person, you know, just adding on years of age, you know, you just come to view things a little bit differently. Um, when I got to Texas A&M, I thought I was going to be the juice master. Like, that's how I do things. That's, that's the only way it works. That's how I find fulfillment. And, you know, on staff full time, it was only myself and my director, Lee Scott. And so... You know, it didn't matter how much I wanted it. My body and my mind was only going to allow me to do so much. And so I found out really quickly um, that I had to get intentional about um, how I kept my energy up for my athletes. Um, The first thing that I think is the most important was um, making time for my personal lifts. You know, from from a global perspective... I think as strength and conditioning coaches, we can't ask our kids to do X, Y, and Z if we can't do it. Um, but in the same instance, it goes back to what brought me into this field to begin with. That's my happy place. That's my um, therapy. That's my emotional um, gathering of myself. That's all the things I do to keep my my balance of emotional health in check. Um, so I think that's very important. And, you know, a lot of people outside of strength and conditioning have the misconception that all we do is lift all day or we have time to lift all day and um, that couldn't be further from the truth. So making that intentional time and working that into my schedule the same way I worked my teams into it um, allowed me to keep my mental stability to um, come into a lift session uh, with, with an even keel. The other thing that I found out midway was... Um, having and being intentional about creating an identity outside of strength and conditioning. It is very dangerous um, to only have your identity rooted in um, who you coach and what you lift because those two things can come in and out of your life with or without your consent um, with, you know, and you just, you you won't have a say about it. So when those things are absent, well, okay, who are you? And um, if you wait till that happens for you to figure that out, it's going to be a tough road uh, back. And then the other thing is just um, maintaining a social life. And so many of those things that I kind of explained to you um, have nothing to do with um, the essentials of strength and conditioning or any book you can pick up. It's just, it's just very um, intentional self-care. And there have been stages of my career within the last 
five years to where I've been really good at that and where I've been really bad at that. Hmm. Yeah, those are all, like I said, good points of not something you just read from the textbook and mm-hmm. it's just from experience, which is kind of one of the main points of this podcast as well. Do you have anything um, different that you did coaching? And I know it's very it's variable for teams, first off, mm-hmm. but also like gender-wise, male versus female. Was there something kind of a male versus female that you did differently or do you find that it's really more team dependent than male versus female or anything like that? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's such a great question because um, it's a, it's a conversation point that a lot of different coaches are having. Um, And it's always, you know, that answer is evolving as um, really as women evolve in sports and 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 I may be introducing a bias to this, and I'm I, I try to be well aware of that. You know, as a female athlete, um, and as a female strength and conditioning coach, you know, we view it through a different lens. Whether we say we do or we don't, we're trying to make it completely gender neutral, but it exists. Mm-hmm. And so there's a couple different areas to attack that question, and and it really goes back to, you know, why I found my experience at EIU so rewarding. I got thrown into co-ed teams. I got thrown into, you know, swimming, having men and women lift together, but they compete separate. Um, did the same thing with tennis. Um, and, and that, you know, God, even talking to you about this now, I'm like, wow, you know, that was more valuable than I, um, thought it was at the time because it presented great challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, you have in a co-ed situation, I want to provide a neutralized environment because we're competing in the same sport. Um, I want to neutralize gender no matter what. However, I took it on a case-by-case basis because not every male felt the same way on on our team, felt the same way about a co-ed lift as everyone else did. It was just a lot of outliers. And on the same instance, there were some females who didn't like lifting with the guys. Um, and there were other moments where we had, um, you know, you know how the EIU weight room is, is set up. It's not the biggest, you know, if yeah. we're talking about um, the main football weight room, although I know now they've kind mm-hmm. of changed some things up. We used to try to double up our schedule sometimes. So like if, if mm-hmm. football's on their way out, you know, maybe swims on their way in or maybe women's soccer's on their way in. And um, there were some times where we had some conversations um, with athletes and coaches, um, you know, and I won't put any names out there, but to where they didn't want the two genders, you know, mm-hmm. lifting at the same time. And some of it was just um, some females did feel uncomfortable or some male coaches didn't, view that as an optimal environment for their athletes. Um, and that's tough to hear as a coach because one thing I enjoy um, about being a strength and conditioning coach for more than one team is the fact that I like the camaraderie between other teams. I like to see, you know, at one point we had uh, throwers in there and we had, um, and I'm talking about EIU, we had throwers on one side and we had um, volleyball on the other side. And it put the biggest smile on my face when they were encouraging each other, you know. And, and uh, you know, Jordan, the other GA, you know, he, him and I, I mean, we're like, we work so well together. That's one of my best friends to this day. And so we would just feed off of it. We loved it, you know. And so 
I think taking in, um, taking in the wants and needs of the men and women that you're training, um, whether you agree with it or not, is your first step in doing that. Um, I don't have to agree with it, but I do have to consider people's, you know, wants and needs. Mm -hmm. And then maybe that's my opportunity to build that relationship with that coach or that athlete and open their eyes to an environment to where we can train co-ed and not be worried about if that influences my intensity as an athlete. Um, from mm -hmm. an X's and O's standpoint, um, the training I provide programming wise, uh, between men and women, it just really depends. So the intensity of training is the same. Mm -hmm. um, my standard for my men and my women are the same. I don't believe that uh, men's standards should be higher or lower um, and vice versa. I think um, training is relative to the individual. Now in terms of, you know, biomechanical things and um, understanding certain normative values on certain lifts, I 100% do um, approach training with, with a different understanding, especially with, you know, women's soccer. Um, they are, and women's basketball, they are open up, opened up, you know, for a, a, a greater risk of knee injuries due to that, you know, to the hip angle and et cetera. But I, I don't, you know, I don't let it keep me up at night. You know, I mm -hmm. mean, let's let's do all the things we do um, from a performance standpoint. And then if unique things present themselves then we attack them as they come. But there's always a a, um, a unified jumping off point And then you just kind of go from there and make it practical based on what you see. Yeah, I think yeah, those are two good points because with – uh, I, it was kind of the same with swimming, honestly, whereas it's swimming is a sport that's pretty much just conditioning, mainly conditioning based with some technique. So it's relatively similar where you have lifting is um, you're training for resistance, like resistance training benefits, whereas swimming is you're training for the conditioning benefits. Mm -hmm. And we still had some of those kind of same questions going through, whereas where I would be talking with other captains and the coach and be, you know, do we change it to where maybe we just have a guys practice some days or girls because it was right. the same thing a lot of the time where we had both of them we swam together but the times and were a little bit different or we just you know just because of um, performance and stuff mm -hmm. but uh yeah so i mean it's just kind of figuring i guess out what works best for each situation as you were saying but still keeping the you know standards for each gender the same yeah one thing i think that's important to to notice too is um you know, co-ed aside, let's just say culture development um, for the male athlete versus the female athlete. Um, while we want it to be the same, it's not. And so the way that men are motivated is just different based on my experiences. It's not better or worse. It's just different. And I think... Um, Realizing that in a in a way that doesn't devalue one or the other is the best way to understand how to make an impact and mold behavior versus trying to change behavior. And so the things that I might get, you know, like, I mean, let's be real, like I give my male athletes power slaps before they, you know, you know, lift heavy. Um, some of my female athletes are down for that. Most of them are not, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I don't, you know, I, I don't want to be, uh, ignorant. I, I don't know if that is completely dependent on gender. Um, but it, it does have its place to, to be formed in a, a consideration category. 
Yeah, and that's like even just music wise when when swimming was right. going on, the guys would want yeah. some music, girls would want some. So yeah, like small things like that that really don't mm-hmm. mean anything. It's just kind of what they both feed off of differently. Absolutely. So I guess being from the military and just kind of with your past experiences with the college setting, we'll go with kind of first off, we'll start from an athlete and then move into coach. And what would you say, I guess, a couple um, characteristics or um, just attributes people would have? So athletes first, that would they would need to be to lead the weight room successfully as a captain of their team and then kind of mm-hmm. go, you can kind of go into a coach as well, which you've sort of gone over, but just, yeah. I mean, if there's anything else like kind of attributes or things that would really be able to um, kind of be a leader in that or have respect in the weight room. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, the first thing is um, having a servant mindset, having the understanding that um, people respond to authenticity if it comes off as um, self-serving leadership you're it's going to be really hard to get people to follow you i'm not saying that it doesn't happen to where um people who are are selfish for lack of a better word get people to follow them based on what they could provide performance while but that's more of a short term answer And when we think about leadership or when I think about leadership, I want that to be long term, um, whether I'm an athlete or a coach. And so when people um, can get a grasp on your authenticity towards them and what you're willing to do to put them before yourself, they will they will allow themselves to be led because trust is is huge when it comes to leadership. Um, and, and really, to test that theory, just think about the leaders you've had in, ter- in the past, in the present, or maybe the leader that you have been. Um, when you think about, we learn from leaders that are really good ones, and we learn from leaders that are really bad ones. And, you know, they're both valuable because it shapes um, what makes you as a leader. Um, authenticity is a huge block with that because I've also seen um, interns of mine and coaches and colleagues to where um, they try to emulate someone else's personality. It just it doesn't work when it when you're trying to be something then that you're not. People get very turned off from that, and it's just not sustainable. Um, I've, I've had interns that have tried to do that in the past, and, and we've had conversations where we we'll sit down, and, and it's hard to really like tell somebody like, "Hey, you're doing too much. Like, slow down here," you know, because you're 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 coming at their personality. Um, but um, when you put into perspective how that's hurting them, um, good coaches will will take that, take heed to that. Um, and so I think that's definitely the stepping off point for athletes. Um, it's There's a tough element of it when we're talking about athletes because these are your friends. These are the, the people that you um, joke around with, you know, hang out with socially, et cetera, et cetera. And, and maybe it's, um, you know, I remember in the Army um, when I had just got promoted to sergeant, a lot of my friends were still specialists and such. And I got in charge of leading them now. So now I I have to tell them what to do. And, you know, not all of the things that I tell them to do are things that people like to do, but somebody's got to do it. And it was really tough for me to figure out, you know, what my social life looked like after that. And, you know, they would kind of use that against me. And so I think that's the greatest challenge for 
um, athlete leadership. And I think, uh, you know, the difference between success and uh, being unsuccessful in that is a huge lesson in maturity. Because as young people, we, you know, I, I don't care how confident you are, um, we, we struggle with wanting people to like us. And when people aren't all in our face about how great we are, it makes you question, oh, man, this leadership stuff isn't what I thought it'd be. And um, a mature person, a mature adult will look at that and say, it's bigger than me. Um, from a coaching perspective, it's all those same things. Um, it's putting your wants and needs as a coach aside. Um, sometimes I have to have really hard conversations with my athletes and I don't like it. But I have to remind myself um, that it's not about me and how uncomfortable it makes me feel. It's about I could give this kid an opportunity to overcome X, Y, and Z um, if I take myself out of the equation. And all of that always comes back to the jumping off point of authenticity and, and having a servant mindset. When you put other people first and you define your purpose and you're not confused about that, um, it makes that direction easy to follow. If you're putting out mixed signals, even if, uh, even if your athletes want to follow you, they're like, dang, I don't know how. Like, you're not giving me the tools to do that. And, and so self-reflection is another characteristic that I'd put in there too. Like, you got to be able to look in the mirror and say, did I do a good job today or not? And mm. if the answer is no, you need to just wear that and figure out how to get to that yes. And so it's a very uh, introspective job um, but you know, as Debbie Downer as that may sound, it's so rewarding when you get it right. It's so reward. I mean, think think about like what we're doing right now. You know what I mean? Like, I haven't talked to you guys in years, and you know, just to to hear back from you and to get you know during this this uh, coronavirus stuff, you know, everybody's got nothing but free time on their hands, so we're all texting each other. I love you. I miss you. Da, 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 you know, yeah. and I'm hearing back from my athletes that. You know, some that I've thought maybe that I didn't do the best job or that I could have done better. Um, and they're reaching out and they're giving me testimonies that let me know that um, because my heart was in the right place, we got it right. Yeah. And I think that's probably the biggest thing I struggle with, whether it was being a captain on the team or just even being a strength and conditioning coach, is just learning how to walk the line of being a friend and having that relationship with them, but also being a leader at the same time. And I think that's still the thing I struggle with the most is kind of finding that barrier of how friendly to be, but also when to be yeah. stern, you know? Absolutely. I mean, you remember how I came in, like I came mm. in like with the drill sergeant hat on, just thinking, well, well, just because I have the whistle, they have to listen to me. And like, I couldn't be any more wrong about that, you know? And then, and then I started to realize you know, and this was honestly through the help of Jordan, the other GA, you know, um, seeing how he would be around his athletes. I was like, I don't have to be an asshole. Like, I don't have to be an asshole all the time. Now, sometimes I do, and that is what it is. Um, but it, it just opened my mind and my heart about, you know, kind of expanding that a little bit and now there's a lot of gray area with that because you could sometimes want to get too friendly with an athlete and then you're like oh man you know i might have lost some of the platform i had yeah. by this that and the other and and really you just gotta kind of go with your moral compass and mm -hmm. you know I'm, I'm i'm hoping that people in our industry do have a moral compass to go <laughs> off of yeah. you know and then kind of even segueing off from that so 
with you now just starting your newer job and just kind of what I've experienced too, just, or like, so taking this from the point of a transfer, an athlete transferring to a new team, you going to a new job or just starting to coach a new team. Is there anything different you would say other than what you've kind of said in the last one with kind of gaining respect in a new setting, like certain things you would do specifically within a new setting of trying to gain respect, but then as you said, not come in too hard, but also not come in Mm -hmm. so where no one respects you. Yeah, I'll tell you, man, that is a hard line to walk. I, I, I think mm. it's, you know, in my season of coaching now, I think that's something that I'm I'm learning. And because, uh, I mean, if you think about it, I've only really been, let's say, four different places to where I've had to walk in as the new person. And, you know, like walking into a new role after even here after being in the same place for three years to where everybody knows me and, every, oh, it's Coach Brown and, you know, the coaches yeah. know me whether I have their teams directly or not. To go from to where my clout is already <laughs> or my credibility is already established yeah. to where it's not um, has been very challenging for me. Yeah. I, I'll 100% be the first person to say that. That's an area that I'm seeking to grow in uh, right now. But from a beginner's standpoint um i knew that i was coming into so while the tactical world has a lot of similarities to the collegiate world um it's still not the same yeah and so i wanted to respect my entry into a new setting i wanted to bring to the table what i knew i was strong with and what i was very confident in um, but I also didn't want to come in guns blazing, like, this is what we're doing, da 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 I really wanted to take in my environment so that I could respect the environment that I was uh, entering. And so when I first came in, um, it was just talking to people, having conversations, going up to them. And so the structure of what we do um, for MARSOC is a little bit different than how the collegiate world runs. Um, it's It's more um there's a lot more of an open hours type environment to where we keep our facilities and we have multiple facilities we keep them open to our guys and they're given a certain amount of hours to where they're encouraged to come but like it's not like let's take attendance Mm -hmm. so we see a different amount of guys from day to day and a lot of that really depends on the training that they have to do for their job and that dictates everything that comes first um in comparison to the collegiate world to where, yeah, of course, swim practice comes first. That's what we're here to do. But it's blended into strength and conditioning. It's blended into sports medicine. And it's a, everything revolves around the other. We're, we're merely, right now, we're a supplement to what they do because their training is 100% life or death. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just wrapping my head around that. I mean, granted, I've... Um, I've had some experience, you know, having been a soldier that's deployed in a combat zone. But regardless of that, I certainly was not special forces. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to respect that and um, and I continue to do so. And so, you know, in those open hours, you know, just obviously I'm, I'm getting introduced to a million different people and I'm trying to remember names and all this stuff. And that was overwhelming for sure. Um, but I didn't want to have my ego be the first thing that walked into the room. I really was uh, aware of that. And then probably about like a a month into me being on the job was when I got assigned my own teams. Um, and I, I won't lie, man, I was nervous. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like I just, I just wanted to do a good job. I mean, and, and I had kind of 
felt like my view on strength and conditioning was changing over the last couple of years based on, you know, me looking outside of collegiate strength and conditioning and, and not ever thinking I would do that, you know. Um, and so I, I was kind of having like a little bit of a identity crisis as, as a coach. I was really insecure about what my strengths and weaknesses were. And, you know, here I go standing in front of these guys that are like, you know, America's elite's best, you know. I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, man, don't mess it up. Um, and so with that, you know, I had to address that within myself. Uh, the first thing I did when I had the guys stand up in front of me was I just kind of told them a little bit about myself. I wanted them to know um, who they were dealing with, why at all I was qualified to be standing in front of them, and, and I wanted them to know um, what my plan was. Um, as an athlete, when you're looking up to a coach, you want to know that this person has a plan. If you feel like they're just shooting from the hip, um, it's just really hard to put any trust in that, you know, because it's like then you get to that point where you're like, well, I could just do this on my own. Um, and mm-hmm. that's what I don't want these guys to think. You know, they already have a lot of freedom. The training is not mandatory. I need them to buy into who I am. So I just went back to who I was, you know, that crazy, you know, 5-1 coach is jumping around, screaming, yelling about nothing, and just being myself. And as soon as I turned that on, oh, man, they loved it. And it was like we had one of these moments where we were about two weeks into training, and what's really cool about our staff is that uh, we have four coaches in in the area that I work in, and we're all from very different backgrounds. And I love that because mm-hmm. um, those coaches influence me. I influence them. But the Marines that we have right now have had programs from the other coaches, and now they're getting programs from me. And it's not like I'm ripping the rug from them, but they're seeing different things that they mm-hmm. wouldn't ordinarily be exposed to. And it excites them. Like, it's fun. Yeah. It's something new to do. It's something cool to be focused on. And these guys are ridiculously intelligent. Like, I mean, it's it's freaky. Um, you know, they teach, they're taught, like, two languages in, like, three months. Like, I mean, they are, it's, it's crazy. Um, so the demographic and how I get that buy-in is a little bit different. You know, when I talk to a collegiate athlete, I can't outright assume that they want to hear about, you know, the muscle fibers and ATP and like, you know, uh, energy systems. Nine times out of 10, they don't. They just want to be told what to do and they want to know how that's going to get them better at their sport. Mm -hmm. But these guys are so intelligent that they want to talk physiology with me. So like we're out here nerding out and I love it. And so just... Just taking that authenticity and and um, that genuine nature of being yourself and getting over that insecurity, that's what's allowed me to create relationships with these guys and, and find my way. And you know, and and there's still days. I mean, I've I've only been on this job uh, twelve three months, and there's still days where I I feel that insecurity sometimes, and I just you know I mean good good because now I can grow from it. You know, yeah. like if you get too comfortable, it's it's a little dangerous. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Just instead of being nervous about it, just being yourself and then kind of going from there, and which allows you to do your best instead of kind of second guessing and not giving what you really could give. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You kind of touched on it um, at the end of that with how to get kind of the buy-in with your um, athletes or the people you're working with. But how is there anything else you'd say about how you preach to the athletes or people you work with now? the importance of strength and conditioning um, to a point that they understand why they're doing it 
so they get their why to then work hard mm-hmm. at it instead of just being like, oh, my job is to play my sport or is to, you know, defend the country instead of just do something, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the equalizer, whether you're um, kicking down doors and clearing rooms or you're shooting a jump shot, the equalizer is that you're coming in with an equity. I want to build equity in how well I do my job. How are you going to do that for me? And that's, that's the, you know, you have to start from there. If you start from anywhere else, you're going to get it wrong. And so when you understand that these athletes are coming in with that mindset, and you also understand that that's the only reason you're there is to support them to do that. So you think we're not weightlifters and powerlifters in, unless that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? So um, speaking to them in a way to where whatever it is I'm asking them to do, I'm giving them a reason as to why that influences their main source of equity. So if I'm just talking about how it helps me be a better strength conditioning coach, or if I'm just talking about my programs or adherence to singularly what I do, Coach Brown, there's no reason to reciprocate on their part because I'm only, I'm only talking about what matters to me. And we've already established the fact that I'm there to enhance what they do. So if we're only enhancing what I do, then we've all failed. And, you know, athletes of any population are some, they're like kids. They're the best judge of character. They will see through any smokescreen that you might have. Um, And so you got to come at them in such a way to where you're explaining to them directly why that matters to what they're doing. So an example of that... um, you know, in the tactical population, um, you know, sometimes that's not enough. And so I had a guy and he was, he had like kind of like a lateral sling thing going on. And, you know, Marines have motors, like they don't feel pain. They just go, 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 go. The more it hurts, the better. And obviously we know from a strength and conditioning perspective and a, and a, med- a sports medicine perspective, that's an awful mentality to have. Um, but you can't be like, wow, you're really awful at recognizing how to take care of your body, you know? So, um, you know, I saw, I saw like his foot was like pointed out to the left and he was kind of like lean to the right and, uh, he gets off of, of the barbell and, um, he's just like, man, like, you know, it doesn't feel right, whatever. And I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, you're shifting to the right a little bit. He's like, yeah, yeah, well, I'm just going to try another set. And I'm like, why would you try another set? Like, you know, like you're in pain. Like, why would we do yeah. that? No, 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 I'm going to get it right. I'm going to get it right, you know, which is I've experienced this with athletes as well. Yeah. So he gets off the bar and I'm not even lying to you. Um, you know, he doesn't he's not grabbing like, oh, this hurts or that hurts. And I just looked at him and I was like, Does your lower back hurt on the left side? And he was like, yeah. I was like, oh, well, it's because you're not doing X, Y, Z, you know, and just kind of retracing the lateral sling pattern. And that established the credibility to just get his ear for a little bit. Mm. And so I was like, you know, like I just took, took him to the side, like like I've taken you to the side sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just said, you know, I want you to have a long career. I, I don't want this to be it for you. I said, you know. And then a lot of this also takes me studying what they have to do tactically, right? So, like, if it's a ruck march, if it's carrying someone over their shoulder, if it's, you know, 
10 to 15 second burst, if it's kicking down a door, if it's standing with the load all day, whatever, right? My understanding of that and translating that to physiology, biomechanics, etc. I basically just took that and rearranged it to, hey, how you been feeling on your ruck marches, right? You haven't been making times, right? Or this, that, the other. Then that antenna goes up and now we can have that conversation. And the most rewarding thing is, you know, um, I train Marines of all different ages. So, you know, and because it's special forces, it's not necessarily like 18, 19, because a lot of these guys, they start in infantry and then they put a package in for special forces and move on from there. So I say like the youngest age being like 20, 21. And then uh, the oldest guy maybe being like 38 tops and having those conversations and having them come back and be like, man, I just PR'd on, you know, my, uh, my ruck marcher man, I was, you know, I was doing this activity or this training thing and I didn't feel this pain anymore, you know, and like now all of a sudden I've got your buy-in. And so, and it's not all that different for athletes, you know, like, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and coach your jump shot. I'm actually going to be very aware not to do that because that's not my lane. Um, But if I can change your mechanics and then now all of a sudden your free throw percentage is better, well, now we've got that buy-in. So you definitely have to be um, very studious of, of what their craft is versus just sticking your nose in just what we do as strength coaches. Yeah, those are all really good points as well. And I guess just to finish off on, what would you say some of the biggest differences, and I know you've touched on these as well, um, that you've had from that when you started your career to mm-hmm. now, whether that be just beliefs or just um actual applied coaching stuff that you've done um just like yeah the beginning to now some of the biggest changes that you've noticed or kind of come upon yeah so i mean from a programming standpoint it's when i when i used to write programs um you know eiu and before that um internships and stuff like that it would take me so long to write a program. Like I'm talking hours to mm. write what now I'd view as a very basic program. Um, and I just always think like, oh my God, like there's not enough hours in the day. Um, but the reason for that was because I was, I was reading a lot to make sure that whatever I was putting on the floor was legit and it wasn't just something I was just pulling out of nowhere. Um, the more knowledge, the more you expose yourself to that, the more that stuff just becomes, you know, you got it now. It's in your bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, the best information or the best advice I got in the beginning of my career from um, a lot of people at uh, Springfield College was start simple. Don't put a program on the floor that is too complicated for you to keep up with and now you don't know left from right. So how are your athletes going to know that? How are you going to see any outcomes come from that? So I started, you know, with your basic linear periodization, you know, quickly came to realize like that's a little too basic for D1 athletes. And so then moved into some undulated models and, um, you know, taking point from people like Coach Niehaus and allowing him to kind of talk me through that and seeing some of his programs on the floor to develop that mindset for me. And then also just being careful of some of the, the fads that come and go. Right. So um, triphasic training is not a fad. Triphasic training is arguably something that's in one form of fashion in everybody's program to date. And they might not even know where it came from. Um, But, 
you know, some of the other, like, you know, I'm not even going to name them out because I don't want to be insulting to anybody, but there's some of them yeah. are just like, you know, jacked in 20 days or like some yeah. weird stuff like that. And, you know, like I, I have developed a better lens to know, um, what to, to, to take on and what to leave alone. And so over the last, uh, year, I've kind of evolved to a bioenergetic standpoint and this is in no um, shape or form my my own uh, creation. This is something that um, Cal Dietz has kind of taken and, and derived from his original triphasic and if you know anything about Cal Dietz, he's very um, open with sharing his content. Um, he's got you know videos on YouTube. Um, about how he programs, you know, an integration of bioenergetics to triphasic, you know, different ways to put it on the floor for different populations because sometimes it's it's a little too advanced for certain populations, but we can kind of regress it for others. Um, he puts his personal information online if you want to call him or, or email him, like that kind of thing. And so over the last year, um, I have taken that and instead of programming um, from a perspective of okay five by five at 85 percent is your quote-unquote recipe for you know strength development um i've kind of taken it on to are we working in our alactic system our lactic system or our aerobic system um and again this is this is not my own content um however as complicated as it sounds it has simplified my understanding of strength and conditioning so we understand that alactic is anything that's 10 seconds or less. Well, I can periodize 10 seconds. So I could periodize, you know, um, if we're doing back squat and we're just getting into our alactic phase, um, I could periodize one of your reps to be as many reps as possible in 10 seconds, right? Um, and we would flat load that for the week, and we do that for like two weeks. That's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, you know what I mean? It's, and, and going like fairly heavy, like 70 to 80%. Like that's, and if you've got like a pretty decent, you know, one RM, like that'll work you. Mm. Um, and then just again, progressively knowing, um, between intensity and duration, as I go into the weeks and, and kind of get out, you know, like a macro cycle, I'm going into, maybe I periodize down to three seconds and two seconds. And so, um, making sure I stay into that alactic state. Same thing with lactic, you know, that's 20 to 40 seconds. Well, I could periodize that. I could do that within a micro cycle and a macro cycle. And then the other part is aerobic. Everybody is so wrapped up in what it means to do aerobic and what it doesn't mean to do aerobic and what's conditioning and we use words like fit and in shape. And none of those are appropriate terms for understanding what we're actually trying to get. Aerobic exercise in its finality, is anything lasting longer than 120 seconds? Boom, done. Mm -hmm. So as long as you create something within that recipe, you're getting it done. Now we could get fancy. We could add heart rate monitors if that's what you got, and that'll help us be better at our jobs. But really what Cal's kind of opened my eyes to is you could have nothing and get this done. You could have all this technology and resources, and we can get this done. As long as you have an understanding of the physiology, we can get the outcome. But really, you know, what led me to even taking on this content was I felt like, you know, we'd have a really good phase with throwers or I'd have a really good phase with um, women's basketball and then we just plateau. And all the X's and O's were telling me, hey, 
yeah, I plugged in this block for basic strength, and I should get that outcome, and we're not getting it. Well, 85% is not 85% every single time you touch 85%. There's too many external factors for us to assume that it's that black and white. But when you, you know, turn to, like, the raw materials of what an energy system is, um, man, the adaptations were just so... It was so readable. I knew what we were doing. I wasn't confused about it. My athletes weren't. And we were getting the adaptations that we sought out to get. And so that's one way in which I've evolved my understanding um, from an X's and O's perspective. Um, in terms of just overall coaching, you know, I really thought in the beginning that, you know, you had to burn the candle at both ends. That um, you must be the the first one in the weight room and the last one to leave. And if you weren't, then you were trash. And really, that just didn't last too long, you know. And I and, and it's exactly what we kind of talked about in the beginning of this conversation, um, which was how do you maintain that passion? How do you be the best for your athletes on the floor? Well, part of this is self-care. And, like, a, a lot of it was just trying to obviously establish myself when I was young. You know, I knew I had a lot more work to do than – my elders, I knew that I had to learn this stuff. I had to network. I had to kind of get in front of them and, and show them why um, they should hire me. And that's a very exhausting time period. Um, but I almost, I almost made it a popularity contest. No one else was, but I was. And I had to look at that and say, all right, you know, do you, is all attention good attention? Is that making you a good coach? And, you know, the answer was no. And so and some of that is a lesson in maturity, but... Um, I, I look at the way that I regard my career now completely different. The other thing is, you know, my, my family wouldn't hear from me at all. You know, they'd hear from me maybe during Christmas or whatever, but 24 mm. seven, it was strength and conditioning or nothing at all. And, uh, now I, I make time for my family, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's very important, especially the older you get. I think the more you'll realize those things. Yeah. I liked, um, from your kind of programming um, progression of what you've been to. I like the quote you said, 85% is not 85% every time you touch 85%. And I think that's, right. uh, yeah, a major thing. Cause some days, you know, you can go in there and feel great and this feels easy. And the next day it feels a million times heavier and it's the same. Right. right? And so, yeah, that was, that's a good point as well. And then just going for more of the <clears throat> just general of making sure you're able to sustain your passion through self care of stuff outside of, the profession or your sport as well, I think are two things that you highlighted on as well. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for being on. I appreciate you taking the time out and coming on. Absolutely. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to have you on again, maybe and talk more of the programming sometime. So yeah, I mean, anytime yeah. and I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, congrats on the new job and stay safe. Thank in you this, so uh, much. In this time.